And here comes Milwaukee. Forbes, another three. Oh, no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode. I've lost count what number it is. To the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. I am your gracious host, LJ Cascon. I'm joined by Hot Take Harrison, the Thunder from Down Under, George, my, my sweet Aussie boy. And for the first time, Clay Ferraro, he wears many, many, many hats, including sports anchor and analyst at WPLG. And today he adds a new hat to his collection, the one of our gracious first ever guest on the show. We're very, very thankful to have you, Clay. I know it's a very prestigious award to be our first ever guest. I just you know what? Look at looking at my hair this morning. I do need to be wearing a hat. This is this is ugly, man. I don't know what the what's going on here. It's, I think it looks good. Either a haircut or a hat. But uh, no, nah, man, I'm looking forward to it. This is fun. This is a fun time of year. I like the trade deadline. I like all this stuff. So uh, so let's dive in. Oh yeah, no, we're we're getting right into it. Uh, we're gonna start as we always start with a little wee cap. Uh, Miami managed to put up their worst loss of the season earlier last week against the Charlotte Hornets, another actively tanking team, uh, a feat that they seem to outdo at least once a month. They did it against the Spurs. They did it against the Pistons. They managed to do it again against the Hornets. It's a very, very weird team that we're watching this season. Um, they got murdered on the glass by 11 against the worst three-point shooting team in the league, two against the Hornets. And then they did something really funny. They The very next game, it was a big one against Cleveland, a team Miami is frantically trying to catch in the standings a game we, that saw Miami hold Cleveland under 100 points at 97 for a very impressive road win. Probably a top two win on the season following a top two loss on the season because hashtag, of course, it's just the way that this Miami Heat team kind of operates. Um, they wasted uh, last night the most legendary regular season BAM masterclass I think I've ever seen. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was the best regular season game I've ever seen BAM out of bio play on the eve of being called all-star for the second time in his career. Congratulations, Bam. We want to give him some flowers there. But they did lose to the Knicks without Jalen Brunson. I'm not even going to get into uh, the point guard who has previously played for Memphis, Houston, and Toronto. I'm not going to go into it. If anyone else wants to talk about that man, go right ahead. I think we're going to keep it a little more positive than focusing on at one point he was, what, negative 29? Again, he who must not be named. He's Voldemort to me. I will not be talking about him. But open discussion. Any of you guys, are any of you surprised by the hot and cold nature of this team 50-some-odd games into the season? Because this is what we're getting until a move is, fingers crossed, eventually made. No, because this is who they are. They're average. You know, and this is that's what I said the other day, and like people don't want to hear it, but it's an average team. And it's like you, you can't fall in love with the glimpses of great or the glimpses of really good and, and trick yourself into thinking that that's something – that's that's consistent because it's not and and i'm glad you went through the week because i thought this week kind of told us everything we needed to know about this team look like the charlotte game was a perfect example of this year's maddening inconsistency with this team the cleveland game i don't know if you guys saw cooper moorhead's tweet about the shot quality in that game the heat if you extrapolated the shot quality that they had in that game throughout an entire 82 game season it would have been the worst shot quality in the entire NBA, dead last. Whereas the Cavs shot quality, if you extrapolated it out, would have been the best in the NBA. So basically what he was saying with that tweet was the Heat got extremely lucky in that game. The Heat made shots that they normally miss 
the Cavs miss shots that just about any team would make. That's not like, that's not dumping on the victory. It's saying that like, yeah, sometimes you get a win and the Heat have had plenty of the, the opposite occurrences this year. Sometimes you get a win where you didn't really deserve it. Sometimes you lose games that you deserve to win. But it was like one of those where it's like, man, if we could just get this team back to shooting the way that they did last year, then maybe you'd have something. But we're we're 50 plus games in now. There's no saying, oh, well, if, if, if this team is who it is, they're not magically going to morph back into the team that could shoot the lights out last year. And that's why, again, we're talking about the deadline stuff. This team has to make a move if they want to be legitimately consent, considered among the contenders in the East. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, Clay, you brought up a lot of really excellent points there. The other thing is just like, and I've been saying this for a while now, I think a lot of us have been saying it over here at the basement, that you know, the, there are obviously trends that can change a little bit, but we're now going on, this is a very similar team to last year, basically minus P.J. Tucker. We're going on essentially six months of really bad three-point shooting, and that was why they had the one seed last year. They were the best three-point shooting team in the league. They have been atrocious um, from the land of milk and honey, as Eric Reed likes to say, um, just been, it's been horrible. So to think that there's going to be some positive regression, I think, yes, we can bank on a tiny bit of that. But at this point, um, I don't think we can really expect it from these guys shooting the ball right now. And you gave that interesting stat about the shot quality in the Cleveland game, because I think for the most of the season, the heat have actually been getting some good looks. They just cannot hit them. So, the fact that they needed all those threes and they hit a lot of them in the Cleveland game to win, um, you know, kind of would be a lucky a, a lucky performance. Um, Cleveland was twenty one and five at home, so they've been a very very good home team. Um, and I think you're right. This is kind of an average team. They're very Jekyll and Hyde. You never know what you're going to get. Um, consistently, you do know you're going to get one of the worst uh, half court offenses in the league. A team that is the lowest scoring team in the NBA. Um, you know, I think we looked at the other teams that are shooting this poorly from three. They're all teams that are tanking uh, or just have kind of accepted that they're not going to be make, you know, doing anything really special this year. And I think it's okay to admit this stuff. I don't think it makes us less of a fan. I think it's okay to be objective um, and just kind of realize that the Heat came in hoping that, com- uh, you know, just some like camaraderie and the fact that they've been together would help them. But unfortunately, in a lot of these builds, you come to a the end of the road where um, the team gets older than you want really quickly. I think I kind of gave the example while understanding that this isn't the same team. But the fourth year of the big three, um, if you remember that team, like after they'd won back-to-back championships, they were they were exhausted, that team. They had played a lot of playoff basketball. They had played a lot of games together. And that was the year that Wade was like missing every other game and uh, Battier and Allen had gotten old really fast. So while we understand that the talent is not the same on this team, I'm not, everyone gets mad at me. They're like, you're comparing like, no, 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 but it's a similar thing. The fourth year of these builds is difficult when you don't bring in new, new blood, when you're not infusing new guys into this offense. And I just kind of think that's where we are for me. And for a lot of us here, like we didn't need 53 games to know, that this wasn't going to work out. Um, you've gotten the leap from Bam, which is incredible. Good for him. I really think he should have twice as many all-star appearances, but we'll take the two for him. Um, he's having a, he's having an amazing season. He has been the Heat's best player, and they need to build around him. I've been saying it for six years. 
even when he wasn't showing the offensive skill set that he has now, he's a guy that they need to build around. And if it's going to be Jimmy and Bam, they have to create space for these guys. So that means better shooting. Um, the team has like completely stopped cutting to the basket, which was a huge staple of a Spo offense. And they just need to find other guys, other wings, um, other other guys that can make their lives easier because the shots that they're putting up and consistently having to hit to win are very tough and they need to find a way to fix that. Before George gets in, Harry, I'm happy you talked about the stable of a Spo team is cutting to the basket. I know all of you have probably seen the picture that is going across Heat Twitter right now too of last night's game where Bam is standing in the paint and there are four New York Knicks on him and there's a fifth within 10 feet. No one, or I think it was Highsmith, I think it was the only one cutting to the basket in that image. You had Hero, Struess, and Vincent. Two of those, I guess, I mean, Struess should be out there for an outlet to a three-point shot. Hero should be smart enough to know he needs to do something else. Gabe is Gabe shot horribly from three last night, too. You For him, if you're having a bad shooting night like he was, you got to move. Get your tail into gear, man. Like You can't be all sitting camping outside the three-point line because that's what the Knicks wanted you to do. Sands, Max Struess, who hit three and hit a pretty good shot at the end of the game, too, to at least give the Heat some semblance of a chance. It needs to be better because, like Harry said, too, it's a staple of the offense for easy looks when someone is keying and when a defense is keying on a specific player, hence Bam Adebayo, you need to be able to get him an easy pass out of a quadruple team. Not just a double team, a quadruple team. That means someone is open. There were three people wide open, and it. the Knicks are happy to allow – Gabe Vincent to take that shot. That's just the way that it is. George, you want to get in here? When I look at the last week, that's that's come to fruition. It's it reminds me of Carnival Ball. I'm not. There's no pun intended to Mr. Arison at all. The um, the loss to the Hornets, the win against the Cavs, the loss to the Knicks. It just it follows a trend of poor foundations set poor basketball standards, and that's what we've we've come to see over the last um, how many games? Fifty something games. It's been fifty three. It's just been – it shows a lack of quality, a lack of um, assurance around the, around the team. We're 30th in, in scoring, and that's that's where you need to look as well. This team following into this year and the trends that have been set from the first three years of this um, of this team is good shooting, good defense, and, and grit and determination. You just, you just don't see that anymore. Last in the league in scoring, fifth last in, in three points made, um, three-point percentage. It's just – it's – it's pathetic. It really is. When you look at the team that that's come so far, so many times and gotten so close, I think that takes a massive mental toll on the players and to not be able to, to replenish your stock and to re- replenish what you have uh, in your barracks. It just, it really, it really makes this team have to work harder every single night. And some people don't want to have to do that. And I look directly towards, you know, someone that we, uh, we paid a lot of money to, to, to fill a, a need in a role at the point guard position. That's Kyle Lowry. He doesn't look up for the job. And in the last five games, I saw a really interesting stat. His first half numbers are just downright horrific. It's 0.4 points a game at 4.6% field goal percentage. If that's not the most shocking stat you've read all season, and, I, and that's coming after seeing Deadman's plus minus numbers earlier in the season. That was a, a defensive rating of 190. Negative 93. But no, better leadership, guys. Better but leadership. It does That's the what world. he's there for. But when you can see it and you can hear it loud and clear from the players, Bam and Abaya coming out and talking about it. Uh, Tyler Hero expressing his um, displeasure with some of the some of the things going on with the team, and it's it's 
very, very obvious that the, that the front office has lost faith in um in Lowry completely. Not pay, playing him at all in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, really shows that all faith's lost in the, in that situation. So it's up to the Heat now to see what direction they take. What they need to do is they need to be looking at their options in a in a broad spectrum at the moment. They need to look at everything that they got. So I, I'm not sure what they where they go from here. I know there's some you know there's some rumblings or some rumors out there as well, but you just don't know what to believe anymore um, around the league. At the same time, the Heat can do a better job at you know just just looking like they're up for the job because these these first halves are just soul crushing. Having to come back as well on the back of Bam and Abayo's efforts and and trying to get him involved as much as possible and that quadruple team really shows something. It's that Bam's willing to take that leap to to be that scorer that we want him to be and he's gonna I believe will prove that in the playoffs when the time comes. But it's about the rest of the team really lifting up as well. This shooting dilemma needs to needs to come to an end. Also, we saw last night me and Harry in la- or on I think it was we recorded on Sunday or Monday. And we got the pot out early this week talking about how Spo is continually leaving Jimmy on the bench a little too long and then putting your starters back in when they're facing a near double digit deficit midway through the fourth quarter is not a scheme for winning basketball. And it's it's painstaking because it's it's happening continually. This isn't like a one off. Spo is doing this consistently and it's it's really hard for an offense that I'm about to get into the stats in a second here that, that just can't score the basketball to have your leader, even though Jimmy did have a bad, admittedly a bad game, which you don't see from him very often. So it's it's okay. There's a little bit of leniency there because he he doesn't, you know, take the regular season into account the same way that he takes the playoffs into account because you know what you're going to get from Jimbo in the playoffs. But keeping him out of the game until the six-minute mark continually in the fourth quarter, when he leaves, it's a close, you know, single possession game or four or five points. He comes back in, it's nine, it's 11, you know. It's, it, it's very, very, very difficult for any player to come in against a team like the Knicks, too, who also, Tom Thibodeau, I mean, the man has defense. Having him coming in for an offense that can't score, which I'm about to get into right now, it's a tall task for anybody. So it, I would just like to see Spoke kind of, he's stubborn, but I'd like to see him do something a little bit different when it comes to substitutions and the timing of those substitutions. But let's talk about offense. I already said this team just flat out cannot score the basketball. George talked about it, too. It's kind of a big problem to have in the National Basketball Association in the year 2023 to not be able to put the ball in the hoop. The Heat, like George said, too, are dead last in the league in scoring. 108 points per game. And they scored 104 last night against the Knicks. So that that margin is coming even smaller. They're 28th in the league in field goal percentage, 27th in three-point percentage. That's hilariously bad for a team that was number one in three-point percentage just last season. And all you lost was P.J. Tucker. Yes, I know you need to take into consideration too all the undrafted guys. There's just not a lot of talent on the roster. So those undrafted guys are going to hit their heads on the proverbial ceiling a little bit earlier than all the other players on the roster. But I I just can't take this team seriously until they acknowledge the issues that they've dug for themselves and they do something to address it. It's been a problem all year long and it's even uglier now because prior to the season, if you guys remember, they told us this would be an offensively focused team. It has been the very, very contrast opposite. And it's just, it's hard to say because they said it would be offensive focused and it's really just offensively challenged. They're great on defense. And we'll get to the defense in a second, in a little bit too. But I just want to ask you guys too, Clay, let's have, let's hear from you first. What is the issue? Is it the players? Is it the scheme? Or do they just need new blood to kind of have a new rotation going here to maybe pick up some of these wins that they should be having? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> it's all of those. It's all of those. And and so 
the thing that I want to make clear with this, I don't think this this is a hopeless situation at all. I, I think when you have Bam doing what he's doing right now, and like last night's game, you talk about, and I agree with you, by the way, that it was the best game that, that we've seen him play. I thought there was also a mindset with him last night that is transferable. That is, this is my game. I am going to take over this game. It's like, it was like what everybody's been begging for him to do. And like, I've been a big BAM defender because I think some of the, the criticism is ridiculous. But like, if you've been begging for him to just like dominate and take over a game, you saw it last night. So if he can do that moving forward, uh, if Jimmy, we know what Jimmy's going to do. We know what he's going to do in the playoffs. I, I have a hot take on Jimmy. I don't know that there are five players in the league that I would take over him right now when he is engaged and playing at a ridiculous, like when he is playing at playoff Jimmy level, like I don't know that there are five, but so I have such a high opinion of Bam and Jimmy that I don't think the issues we're talking about right now make this situation hopeless. I think they're fixable. And I think they're, they're fixable to the point where, you are doing Bam and Jimmy a disservice if you don't go out there and do everything possible to maximize this year with the two of them. And I think there, there are things you can do. And, and so to, to answer your question, there are a few things, uh, some of them that I've been talking about since before the season started, um, and some of them that I think you can, you can look at right now. And, and what I've been saying for a long time, and I get a lot of pushback on this because I don't think people quite understand what I'm saying, Max Struess is a much better fit in the starting lineup than he is coming off the bench. Tyler Hero and what he brings and, and his strengths are, are much better when he is not surrounded by other ball-dominant players. Like, you can put the ball in his hands, let him ISO, and let him do it. So, to me, I, the first thing I look at very seriously is switching them back. It's, it's Max Struess in the starting lineup. Tyler coming off the bench. And I'm not saying at all that Tyler is a lesser player. I'm not saying at all that I don't want Tyler Hero out there late in the fourth quarter. I want him out there. But when Max Struess has regressed like he has, and you know that his strength is moving around, catching, shooting, and you don't really have anybody on that second unit that can get him the ball when he spaces, it just it, it makes perfect sense to me. And sometimes I think you gotta you, you got to swallow the pride here and say – what is best for our starting unit and what is best for, for the team as a whole when you're talking about lineup construction. So I would look specifically at that. The other thing I have a real problem with is defense overall. Team defense is great. Individually, the guard defense, when Lowry and, and Hero are on the floor, is, is just – it's so tough to watch, guys. And, like, last night in the fourth quarter, even with Lowry on the bench – there were two threes in particular. I think they may have both been by Quentin Grimes where you could tell Hero was just sagging into the lane and he didn't close out quickly at all on Grimes. And it, it certainly looked like it was his assignment. And they were two huge shots. So again, I would look more at finding ways in, in defensive situations to get Victor Oladipo on the floor. And obviously last night is different because Oladipo was hurt. But I, the, the issues I, I, would, I would look to address with this roster as currently constructed is, how do I make that backcourt better defensively on a regular basis? In other words, I wouldn't have Hero and Lowry in the game at the same time at all. And then do I want Max Struess out there with ball-dominant players and save Hero's minutes until the fourth quarter? 
where he he can be the ball dominant guy and like you can have Oladipo go back to being the defensive stopper in that second unit um so I those are the ones that like with this team is currently constructed I'm sure we're going to talk about potential trades in a little bit but those are the those are the ones that I would look at specifically uh and it's it's all in the backcourt and I think that there are issues that could make this there there are switches that can make this team better I also think there are some ways that you can look from outside to make them a lot better I agree entirely too about moving Max to the starting lineup because sometimes it's not as difficult as we make it out to be, right? Sometimes the answer stares you dead in the face of you've seen that particular lineup work wonders for this team in very, very recent memory. You don't have to go back far. Their record with Max, I don't have it off the top of my head. I know it was very, very good when Max was in the starting lineup, Uh, going even into the playoffs last season too, when you had Max and Gabe starting for you. Maybe that's something they start going to. I, I think Lowry is a little too proud to, and I don't know why I, I wouldn't say his name. There we go. Chalk one up for me. I said I wouldn't say his name. Here we go. I think he's a little too proud to come off the bench, even though it's probably what's best for the team. I don't think Kyle necessarily cares what's best for the team at this point because he very, it looks very disengaged. But I, I also think that the Heat, like you said, too, when it comes to guard play, I think they have the two worst defensive guards in the NBA. I think we have the worst defensive backcourt in the NBA, bar none. Vic is the only good defensive guard in the team. Gabe is good, but Gabe doesn't make up for the deficiencies of Lowry the same way that Oladipo makes up for the deficiencies of Hero, in my opinion, when you go for just like a straight swap. But Harry, George, let's hear from both of you guys. Whoever wants to take it, go ahead. What what do you think fixes this team? Um, When when I was hearing you guys speak as well, I I noticed a couple things. There's a big narrative-driven, you know, league dilemma that's been going on as well. When you when you look at the the, the the difference between Tyler's role last year and this year, uh, it directly correlates with the problems that we've been having: three point scoring and bench and bench scoring. Two of the biggest problems we've had in the own and the common denominator there is Tyler Hero. Pushing him back to the bench would not be the worst option at all, because you're going to go towards a sense of normalcy in a sense, because that's what was working, that's what was getting you wins, that's what was bringing the stats up last year. And, and I'd like to see the Heat revert back into that sort of, um, you know, winning ways. I think we all do. The Tyler, the 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 Kyle Lowry argument gets a bit more tricky as well because I, I I believe he would never want to play for the, you know, on the bench. He's just he's not that type of guy, and he's someone that would become vocal and and would challenge the front office, and that's something that we don't want. We don't want internal problems at all. But if he was to agree to that bench unit role, that would be a, such a success. For this organization, because we saw last year what it did when he was playing with the undrafted guys, when Jimmy and Bam were out um, with, with long stints of injury, he was elevating their play and he was doing it consistent, consistently before the injury, and even you know at some points this year at the very start where he was looking still serviceable. I'm looking towards that role as the perfect fit, fit, fit for him, but when I look at Kyle Lowry, I don't know if that's a role that he's going to want to you know, to, to, to take on. And I don't think that Spo is going to want to put in there either. Just, I don't think he wants the problems. So we'll talk more about trades later, but moving him has to be the first option. If not, then you gotta learn how to live with him. You gotta learn how to coexist and, um, and maximize what you have left in a player like Kyle Larry, but shifting more to the offense as well, just quickly. When I look at this team and its strengths and its weaknesses, You've got two players that are playing at star potential right now, at, at star levels right now, Jimmy and Bam. When Jimmy's playing, I, I 
struggle to see 10 players better than him in, in impact wise when he's on the floor, just his, his defensive prowess and the way he gets the line, where he gets the quick bucket when we need it. It's such an important thing. And with Bam and Abayo, I feel like they can really work in a tangent together and, and elevate that, that team. But it's about the players that they surround themselves with, the role players that have been so successful in the past, which has given Miami that identity of that culture, bringing in guys to, to, to fill a job. And we just don't have that anymore. So, and I don't think this is the time where you look back at that undrafted section or that, uh, you know, G League or two-way spot and say, this is how it's going to be fixed. You've got to find a way to adapt in a league where teams have already made the moves that they needed. You look at the Celtics, how many moves they made and offensively, how much better they are for it this year. You look, that is a direct result of player acquisition and, and asset management. So it's time for the Heat to really pick up their, their buttons and, and see where they like, where, where the, uh, the cards fall. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Celtics. Malcolm Brogdon was a guy that I just, man, I, I just thought he would have been so perfect for what this team needed. And it, it, the Celtics didn't give up much to get him. And we knew that the Heat had a high opinion of him because they, they have high opinions of anybody who cooks them in the playoffs. And I remember in the bubble, and this was when, man, the even though the Heat swept the series, Brogdon just hunted Tyler and uh, and Duncan Rob. Whenever any one of those guys, were, like he would just attack. And it was like, man, that's so much of what this team is missing right now. So anyway, didn't didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, yeah, I, I I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a specific example where you know because when I tweeted what I did the other day, I got a lot of people saying, oh sure, you're tweeting this after a, a loss against Charlotte. No, this is what I've been saying since the off season was everybody else around you got better, everybody. Everybody. And, and and I would put Brooklyn in that in that class once they decided that that hey, Jock Bond's here, we're gonna play for him. Um, like everybody around you got better. Chris Middleton got healthy. Atlanta added a bunch of guys, and obviously that's been a mixed bag. Cleveland got Donovan Mitchell. Like everybody around you got better and you stood pat, you lost PJ Tucker, and you thought that moving Tyler Hero into the starting lineup was going to like make you better. And I the thing that bothers me too, that the internal improvement, the thing that you hear, oh, we're going to rely on internal improvement. Guess what? Boston internally improves. Milwaukee internally improves. Cleveland, inter everybody around you relies on internal improvement. How are you going to get better when Philadelphia added P.J. Tucker and took away part of the toughness and, and that was the thing they needed? How are you going to get personnel-wise better? And that's what we got to figure out between now and the trade deadline. I think the answer is staring us right in the face, too. Uh, clearly moving Caleb Martin to the four. That's, that's what they wanted to do. They thought that was an answer. It turned out to be horrible because he's undersized like every other player on this roster is for their position. It, it, it's just kind of the way that it goes. Uh, I didn't want to cut Harry off, though. Harry, you wanted to get in there? Um, yeah, you guys brought up a lot of really good points. So I'm trying to, like remember everything that was said. I'm going to disagree about the Tyler Hero to the bench thing. I think a lot of when they signed him to the, to the extension this summer, I think they were kind of saying like either this is the guy that we're going to build our offense around and really try to make him into the guy that we want him to be. Or when July comes around and he has no more poison pill restrictions, that's the guy we're going to showcase to trade in the off season. And so my thought has always been, um, if you extend him and then bring him back to the bench, which everyone was calling for early on when the team was struggling, they were two and five to start the season and it just wasn't looking very good. Um, 
I don't know if that really does what they want to do. It might help them win, right? You guys might be right. It might help them win, but I don't think it's it's really what they want as a roster building long term thing for this team. The other thing is Max is really good in the starting lineup because he's a good catch and shoot kind of guy. Tyler's usually pretty good on the catch and shoot. The bigger issue in the starting lineup is that Lowry doesn't want to be there or has just decided like everything they brought him in to do, he can't do. Can't get to the basket, can't get Bam the ball in the right position, can't get other guys open. So, you know, we can, people can argue like, oh, I mean, you get people online saying Kyle wasn't that bad or this or that. It's like Kyle's been horrific. Um, I think if you gave him true serum, he would say the same thing. Why he's why he's been that bad, we don't know. But, um, you know, I think getting him out of there and putting him on the bench is something they have to do if they don't move him. And I know you guys say, oh, I don't know if he'd do that or whatever. Man, Russell Westbrook's playing off the bench in L.A. And he's, I mean, we all know the issues he's had and how he thinks he's, you know, the greatest guy. So if he can do that, even though I would argue he hasn't had the best, um, you know, season, uh, Kyle can do the same. The other thing I want to kind of transition to a little bit is, you know, the Heat are ranking very highly in defense this year, but I thought um, Coop had an awesome article that they in kind of a tweet that series that he came out with basically saying like, this team is so reliant on turnovers to the point where if they don't get them, the defense is not really that good. And so you're thinking, okay, fine. Every team must be dealing with that. But no, he broke down the other great defenses in the league and they're not as reliant on these turnovers. So in games like last night where you don't have Depot causing havoc, who's been an absolute menace defensively um, since he came back from his injury, you kind of see like – and the, the Knicks didn't play well, but like they're not um, – they're not as tough defensively if they're not getting turnovers and teams will protect the ball better in the postseason. So things that the heat are relying on now to be excellent aren't necessarily going to be available um, in April and May, you know, if they can get that far. And so I think we're just kind of sitting here. You guys mentioned the issue with a lot of these undrafted uh, players that the heat are now heavily relying on. It's more than half their roster on the size disparity that they have. Like, you know, uh, we keep bringing up other stats. I think Coop was saying they're not a bad defensive rebounding team, but it's also like, think about how much effort this team has to expel to be awesome at all these things, to play defense at that level, to turn the other team over like that, to be great at def defensive rebounding. Why don't they bring in some guys who are natural at that? Those are their natural gifts and can just help that help this team um, get better. We're asking so much of Bam right now. Don't you think it'd be easier if his job was 10% less difficult or 20% less difficult? Um, and I'm not really understanding that. The offseason was very confusing to me. When you talk to people on Twitter, they always are like, well, what could they have really done? I mean, you saw what guys were moved for at the draft. It was basically like an expiring and a, and a pick. Um, there, there were moves to be made. We talk about some of the issues with the heat, asset management, like I believe that moves are out there. They obviously decided that it was better to be patient and wait and see what happens. But the other issue you run into um, coming up against this deadline, and I've been mentioning it a lot online, is this is one. This is the most parity you've seen in the NBA in a long time. It's hard besides the really, really bad teams that are going for uh, Wemby and Scoot at the top of the draft to know who the sellers are. And when you have this many teams in it, that means that when you have that many buyers – it's two things. One, everyone's kind of going for the same guys who are available. And two, the prices are going to be higher based on that many teams. You know, supply and demand uh, also works. The, the NBA economics works the same way as it does in real life. So, you know, we could sit here and say, like, um, 
it was okay that they waited. They they had 50 games to wait now. But the problem is now they're in this they're basically the sixth seed. They're they're close, they're also close to the play-in, which wouldn't be great for them. And for me, if they're not a five seed or above, um, you're asking for trouble. If you have to play the Bucks in the first round or something like that, I don't really see this team winning even with some some decent upgrades. And so to put yourself in this position, and I want to bring up the last point that Clay was making. The the Heat are in a tough position because Jimmy has been this good. That it's actually a problem that they probably didn't realize when they traded for Jimmy Butler. He's been so good. I would argue that in two of the last post, two of the last three postseasons, he's been the best postseason player. Um, in the bubble and now last, I think he's been the best player. I think it's probably him or Giannis. You can have an argument over who's been better. And based on that, um, it's just. They, there's so much more pressure on them now. They felt like they had to go out and get Kyle Lowry one because he was the best guy that was available and he was a friend of Jimmy and they thought it would be a flawless fit. And that hasn't worked. The Duncan contract, obviously, I can't believe, I was, I was telling myself I wasn't going to bring him up, but the Duncan contract has been absolutely horrific. And as Clay mentioned in the bubble, he was getting cooked on defense. They were significantly better when Duncan was on the bench. I don't know what they saw in order to, one, give him a deal like that and, two, give him the years that they gave him. So now you're up against the wall. You have these two bad deals. Um, you kind of have uh, an owner who hasn't been that willing to pay the tax. And so we're, and even though we are going to be paying the tax next year. And so this team needs to figure it out now. They don't have time to wait till July when, while Kyle is going to be on an expiring deal, it's not like many big expiring deals have been dealt. Uh, the Lakers are still trying to figure out what to do with Russell Westbrook and his huge contract. So they have about, I think we're going on, we're looking at six days now, guys, where they just need to figure this out. It doesn't need to be, they don't need to contend for a championship this year because I think those moves, it's going to take so many moves that they don't have the assets or the ability to do that now. But they need to get into a more flexible role where they can do that in the offseason and they can be back to saying, hey, this Heat is a top four or five team. They can compete next year. Um, and that's really what they need to figure out because there's, there's so many variables at play right now, and I just think to go into another playoff series where you know Jimmy's going to give it your all, his all, where you know Bam's going to be elite, and we're going to be looking around saying, man, we screwed it up again. It's just not something we should accept as Heat fans, and it's really not something that we should be okay with. I understand we let, you know, fan how you want, be, you know, and enjoy the game you want to enjoy it, but if we're going to keep watching Jimmy be the be one of the best players in the league – I think we should get close to being rewarded for it. And right now we aren't. Sometimes uh, you touched on it too with Bam on the heels of that and moves being made. I want to get back to Clay here. How do you feel about John Collins? Because we touched on defense very lightly. We're going to get more into it now. John Collins is a player that I have been hot and cold on. I started off interested in the offseason. And then after a little bit into this season, I got a little turned off. And now I'm back onto it because mainly. Uh, I, I see that Bam has taken the leap. I think Bam can provide consistent offense for this team when asked to. Um, and he looks for a shot now too, which is humongous. That's all we needed from this season. It's been a success no matter what. I've said that before. I'll continue to say that again. Um, you need, with injuries now to Orlando Robinson, with Dwayne Dedman in the garage, the mechanic's been locked in the garage. He's not coming out anytime soon. He's negative 93 on the year. We've seen the last of him. We can't survive more Udonis Haslam minutes. And a fractured thumb for Orlando Robinson for a person who already doesn't have good hands, that doesn't bode well, just flat out. It doesn't, doesn't work well. So how do you feel about John Collins? Because they can't survive more minutes like this. They need help in the front court. And I think John Collins might provide that. And 
He's been linked to Miami before, multiple times in the past. And if you read the tea leaves, Miami usually circles back on players they've had interest in before. So how do you feel about Mr. John? I'm just like you. I've gone back and forth. And, you know, I I think part part of the going back and forth has been some of the regression this year. And and yet at the same time, you can look at it and say, oh, well, it's because they added DeJounte Murray. And, uh, you know, I I think it's been pretty well known that his game, Collins game, doesn't exactly mix very well with Trey Young. Um, So it'd be fine. I think there are other players that that I look at as being and, and let me say this, too. Part of my hot and cold on him has been the asking price, the reported asking price, that what it would take to get. Because that would be like your one move. That would be the one move that you would make to upgrade your roster. And I'm just not 100% sure about the fit. I'm less pessimistic on, on the Caleb Martin at the four, I think, than a lot of people are. Because I think the greater issues lie elsewhere. I really think I, I think the, the the Kyle Lowry issue is significant. I think you've got to figure out a way to fix that. So the moves that I'm looking at, and again, Collins, I'd be fine with if they decide, you know what, this is the move we have to make. It's not going to be as expensive as we thought. I'd be okay with that. But again, that's where I'm at. It's like, I'm okay with it. I'm lukewarm about it. The 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 guys that I like, I think everybody's heard Boyan Bogdanovich. I I like the idea that you would bring in a legit sniper. Because I think right now, with the leap that Bam is taking, that you combine that with Jimmy, and it's like, okay, that's what you're missing. You're missing that ignitable guy because Duncan Robinson hasn't been it since he, and obviously he's been hurt, but he hadn't been it since since signing the contract. And for whatever reason, other guys on this roster haven't stepped up and did it. So now I do struggle to see the fit a little bit in the starting lineup. Like, who are you taking out? But if you're telling me that you're going to get Bogdanovich in and then reassemble the lineup and, and your rotation because you've got that dude, then I'm fine with that. Um, Naz Reed is another guy I like. Like, I, I know, like, if you're going to go front court, it's probably not going to cost you as much because Minnesota's like, man, we're this ain't working and, and we may need to recoup some assets after giving up the world for Rudy Gobert. That's another guy I really like. OG Ananobi would obviously be like the prize of all this, but man, and this gets back to your point, Harry, about the, it's, it's really a a seller's market right now. And you've got so many teams. I think Phoenix has been the one uh, prominently named. You've also heard New Orleans and Memphis with him. You've got so many teams, particularly in the Western conference that look at him as being the guy, the missing guy. And so they're going to go, you hear three first round picks. Maybe they're willing to go three first round picks and that takes you out of the running. Cause I don't think you want to, I don't think you want to go there. Um, so another guy, I like Sadiq Bey. Um, that's that's another one that I don't think we've heard about in a while. And and I've heard the Heat do like him a lot. I've heard the Heat like Sadiq Bey. They really like OG. But you know, again, the the price is going to be going to be high. So to me, guys, the the move that you're looking to make, I think, and this goes back to the off season. I think the Heat waited because they wanted to see if they had a legit shot at Kevin Durant. And that's fine. And that's the way Pat Riley operates, and that's fine. But when you don't get him, you have to quickly pivot. And so what's that pivot? I don't know. I I thought the type of move, again, I'm more optimistic, I think, in what this team can be. Even this 2023 Heat team, the move that they made in 2020, the trade where they brought in Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, and Solomon Hill. And it was like the poo-poo platter trade, right? It wasn't just, you're not bringing in one star. You thought, oh, this guy fills this role. This guy fills this role. It's like, that's the type of move or moves that I could see this team making. And all of a sudden, 
you're looking at Bam taking a leap, and Jimmy, you know what you're getting from him in the playoffs, and you're like, wow, that's that's perfect. If you could find the role players to surround those two guys with Bam taking that star leap. So again, if you want specific names, Sadiq Bey, OG seems unrealistic, Boyan Bogdanovich, Naz Reed, it doesn't have to be a star. It can be one of these guys that or multiple, a group of guys who come in and fill what you're missing around two guys who I think could legitimately be star players in the playoffs and and elevate this team. I agree with pretty much all the players you named too, because this team is just extremely thin on everywhere you look at outside of Jimmy Bam and offensively speaking, Tyler, we'll get to his defense here in a second. But aside from that, you are a very, very thin team in need of insurance at nearly every position. And maybe, uh, Maybe the Heat should reach out to the primary sponsor of the basement. Simple Health Advisors, the primary sponsor. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated. Email them or give them a call today. Tell them that the basement sent you. You could reach it to our boy, Jay Poe, or Pew. Apparently, it's Pew. I've been saying Poe. I like Pew better, though, personally. So, so shout out to Jay Pew at simplehealthadvisors.com. You can give him a little ring, too, at 321-345-7738. Now, before we wrap here, well, let's talk about the defense, because the defense has been a, a bright spot for the Heat, and I did say I talk about Tyler Hero too, who got hunted meticulously last night. Um, we saw I, the last time I recall recent memory, at least getting him getting hunted like that was against Philly about a year ago when Tyrese Maxey was just going at him, and they could not get a stop. It was a similar thing last night because although Tyler was making buckets on the offensive end of the floor last night, because it, it was an offensively challenged game for most of the night last night against the Knicks, but towards the end on the back half of that fourth quarter. Every team was hitting shots. No one could get a stop. And part of that was because Bam was going nuclear on both sides of the ball. Tyler was going, was picking it up in the fourth quarter. I think he had, he had double digit scoring in the fourth quarter, but they kept hunting him on the, on the offensive side or on the defensive side of the ball. Grimes, like you said too, he slacked off of Grimes. And if Quentin Grimes is beating you on, on three point shots, there's something to be said about that. You can't have someone like Quentin Grimes killing you from behind the arc in crunch time. You can't have that. R.J. Barrett was going at Tyler whenever they had him on him. So then Spoke said, all right, let's swap him off onto Quentin Grimes. And then Tyler slacked off of him, and we know what happened. But speaking of the defensive side of the ball, some positives, though. Miami is the second-best defensive team in the league behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're just talking about a points-allowed perspective. They're allowing just 108 points per game, hovering in that area. But if you remember earlier, they're only scoring 108 points per game. So if you're allowing more than you score, you're usually not in a good spot. Uh, but they do slow the pace down to a screeching halt. They go for turnovers, like Harry said, too. When they don't get them, things are a little different. But they do allow just 39 made field goals per game. Uh, again, team shooting 47% against them. Not awesome, but they are allowing not a lot of shots against them because of the style of play that they go for. They go for the steals. They slow the game down. They grind it out. 47% against them is 20th in the league, by the way. So bottom half basically meaning that their defense is more a testament to their style of play or pace or lack thereof of pace is the, the possessions are just lower. That's why you've been able to see the inflated defensive numbers. But when they don't get those steals again, like Harry said, things start to get a little ornery. So I want to ask around guys, you, you can talk about the defense if you want. I just want an open floor question. Is it worth making significant changes this season or would you rather recoup in the off season and just refuel then? Because if the right player isn't necessarily there, for this team to help on defense specifically for players like Tyler getting hunted. Harry, I see you want to go. You can go first. Would you rather make a move this off or wait until the off season to make a significant move? 
Okay, and just before I, I'm going to answer your question, but I wanted to just be devil's advocate to Clay's point for a second when the Heat traded for uh, for Jay and for Iguodala. Uh, Clay, if you remember that season, uh, Tyler was injured at the time. Uh, Myers Leonard was injured before everything happened with COVID. I think a lot of that deal working out was five months off. Um, they that when those guys got to the team, they were not that good when they first started. The the day that the NBA shut down, they lost to a very bad Hornets team at home. Um, I'm like traumatized by obviously everything that happened, but I remember the basketball stuff. And so my thoughts are like, I think it was more that a team had time to five months to practice in jail. And, and at the, when they, when they were healthy, they were the perfect role guys. So my thought with this team and to answer LJ's question is there are probably certain guys it's worth giving up the assets they need to, to get to make a run this season and knowing the heat, that's probably what they're trying to do. That's probably what Andy's on the phone all the time trying to do now is really, what do we need right now to compete? My thought would just be, it needs to be, it needs to be a move for now and next season. It needs to be a kind of a two year window that they're looking at. They cannot, um, to me, I don't think they have enough to make the all-in move that people are talking about. Like you mentioned with OG, I just think they're going to get very, very priced out of that um, by other teams and, and his market. I, I do think he gets moved. I just don't think it's going to be here. And my big thing is waiting until the offseason, I think, puts the Heat in a much tougher position. They're going to be – Barry Jackson wrote a great article this past week about the Heat's cap situation and the luxury tax situation. They're going to be $20 million into the luxury tax um, unless you find teams that are willing to take on these salaries for very little assets, uh, you're just not going to be able to dump this money. You're going to have to take this money back in some capacity. Not to bore you guys a lot, but teams over the cap, there's basically you could take between like that number times 1.25 and 100,000 more than that. So it's the the, the money's still going to be there. So in terms of trying to get well, you know, get much lower in the luxury tax, I just don't think is that much of a reality. So if you're, if you know they have to make a move and you know we need more flexibility going forward, we probably would like more expiring contracts next season to make more off-season moves. They have to make moves now. I know people are saying, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, I just got off a of chat. He's been bothering me all, all season that the Heat aren't going to do anything. He thinks even getting rid of Deadman's an issue, so... Um, I don't think that's true. I mean, I think easily a second round pick and someone's going to take that very small expiring deal and cut him immediately because he's not good, but there are moves to be made now. Um, there are wings out there that make sense to the heat. There are guys that have been mentioned before and you know, the heat always go back, um, to guys that they've been interested in the past. So I would say there's, I'm going to say, I feel good about two moves happening for the heat. And they have to happen if this team wants to compete. If they're waiting, again, after waiting in the offseason for – I don't care what the reason was, whether it was for KD or there wasn't great stuff, it's going to bite them, and none of us want that to happen. And so they got to do something now within the next six days. For me personally, it all goes down to the, the art of team building and the art of acquiring assets and using your assets correctly because we've got two avenues we can go down. We can do – what they've been doing the last how many seasons, which is the wait and see, make the precise move that will make the most sense or make a move now. And and I think after you've seen the problems and the technical problems that happen um, throughout the entire team with waiting too long, with what you did with Duncan Robinson, you waited too long to actually make him, you know, to to, to make him useful, to, to put him in a, in a system where he was going to fit the best. 
Now, once Bam and Abayo took away that role by not just putting 15 screens out there a day, you know, a game trying to get him free, he became useless. That's sad. It's a sad truth, but it's a reality. What I look at now, and I want to weigh in on the John Collins, and it applies to John Collins and it applies to everything. It's about fit. With John Collins, before this season, he was a career 37% three point shooter, which is pretty, pretty good for a front court guy. Um, matches up well with Bam in terms of size, but will he be too undersized um, to really play alongside Bam? Because when you look at this team's weaknesses as well, yes, statistically, that their defense is great on paper. When you look about, when you talk about defense, you use it as an umbrella term for all these things. Defensive rebounding, they're still fifth worst in the league. They're still the, the worst team at blocking shots. Now, does John Collins fix a lot of those problems? He could. And the big decline this year, I think, comes down to the fact that he's been included in every single trade rumor that Atlanta's ever made for the last three years. So I look at that and say, I'm not I'm not guaranteeing anything, but I think he could make a good move as well. I look at a team like Charlotte, where you know they, they've been mentioned in a, in a ton of fire sale deals. And you look at the players that they've got available for us um, in terms of Terry Rozier, PJ Washington, mate. Uh, uh, Mason Plumley, I'm pretty sure I got the right brother, <laughs> the right Plumley brother there. But um, I, even Kelly Oubre. But there's another guy on there which I really was really impressed about, and that was um, Dennis Smith Jr. And he's really taking that leap forward as a defensive guard. And it kind of brings me back to when the Heat were in that big, the big three era, and it was such a, a it's it's a precision test for them because you have to make sure you have got the right pieces to build that perfect championship team. Because while, while you've got players like, uh, you know, LeBron James, you've got players like Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, you have to surround them with the right amount of talent. And when you've got that amount of talent, you need to make sure that you're putting the pieces around them to maximize that. And that's with players like changing the role of Mario Chalmers. That's one of the, that's an example. Uh, acquiring Norris Cole and using him as an off-ball, um, off-ball guard to really back up the... Um, you know, the, the ball dominance of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, that's just called team building and, and good asset management. So this Heat team can go a ton of different avenues. And they've got they've got some assets and some picks that they can use for these deals. Uh, but I'd, I'd definitely be looking towards the younger route in terms of um, personnel. I'm not looking for a, a expiring Rudy Gay deal, trying to bring him in and paying him at 36 years old. It's just not what I'm looking for. I think they'd much more benefit looking towards a, a Hornets and acquiring, like I said, a Terry Rozier or a, a Dennis Smith Jr. or a um, you know, a Plumley, even a Washington. I think that that could all bode well for the Heat uh, come playoff time, and it's just going to inject a certain amount of of energy and 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 belief in the team when you refresh players, when you when you bring in new new faces. It really does bring a smile to the faces of the players and and gives them something else to play for. So. I think there's a lot of you know good moves that they can make. Hopefully they make them, but it's a wait and see situation. By the way, hot hot take Harry coming in. Uh, bold take that uh, the one game immediately after the trade with Lowry and or with uh, Crowder and Iguodala was more representative than uh, than what happened once they were able to gel and coalesce. And and look, I think to that point, you're looking, and I think this gets back to what you were just saying. It's like how how do you find the fit that's going to work best in the playoffs? And how do you surround Bam 
and and Jimmy and and make them better. And by the way, I think this goes back. Look, it goes back to to Mike Miller and Shane Battier and surrounding LeBron James with the the players who who fit that that big three core best. And and you needed shooters. And so I want to find people who can space the floor. Look, if if we're not going to make a move, maybe we need to look more at, at Gabe Vincent starting potentially. I mean, they're in place of Kyle Lowry. Like, I think we can all look at this and say, this is broken when we're talking about the offense. This is broken. How do we fix it? And and again, I guess my opinion with this team is what's broken is worth fixing because of what you got, what you've got that's working. And I I think it's you look around the league, and I think when you have two players, two unselfish star slash superstar level players, and Jimmy can be that in the playoffs. And I think if if Bam builds on what we saw last night, he can be that as well. When you have those two players, you you owe it to them to do everything you can to surround them with the players that fit what they do and what they're willing to do well. Um, and so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's like unrealistic to think that uh, look around, man, see if you see if you can get some players that can fit what those guys do well. And, and I'm, I'm so glad you kept using that word fit, because I think it, it it's really significant when you're talking about having those two guys. I think that's really well said, too. It's what bothers me is because you don't have much more of Jimmy playing at this elite, elite top of the NBA level in the playoffs. You're seeing Bam kind of come now and 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 step into the role that we all thought or knew that he could eventually step into. So I think the lack of urgency of moves is really just what, what riles everyone's feathers on Twitter mainly because we're all on the same page that we know how good these top two players are. And some people take it more of a disservice than others when it comes to just lack of moves, lack of, of capitalizing on these players' primes. It, it annoys us because we know what they can be. We know that they're not many moves away. There are a lot of problems with the team is currently constructed, but not many moves are needed to really fix those problems. So I think that's a good place to close unless anyone else has anything else they want to jump in on real quick. Well, um, that led right into my question, LJ, and I was going to ask Clay. Um, oh, go right ahead. You know, Clay, I get I get a lot of abuse online uh, about being a miserable person and not really being a true Heat fan and you know being Mr. Negative. So I was wondering if you agreed with my theory. I think that people go to sports as an escape from things – from in their life because life is tough and a lot of things are going on at once. We have all these, you know, things and we have families and um, spouses and partners and people that, you know, and and just people that give us a lot of stress. So I think what happens is people go to sports as a way to escape. And when you're trashing their team or you're saying, man, they got to do something, or you are saying they can't just sit here and do nothing. It's almost like trashing a family member. Like for some people, the heat are like, their friends and they get attached to the name on the back instead of the name on the front, which is what we all root for. So do you think I have anything with this like theory or am I just like really stretching things? Because well, I, no, I, I think there's something and, and I think there's something to that. And I think a perfect example is like my tweet that, that I, I made the other day about this team being average at this point and people like losing their minds. How dare you say that after one game? And then once you engage with them, and you say, okay, so how would you characterize this team? Well, I think they're just one or two wins, one or two moves away from, from making a run. Like, so do I. 
That's an average team right now. Like, we don't disagree. And it's like, you can say something, but phrase it in a certain way that, that gets in people's feelings, even though they feel the exact same way you do, because I'm allowed to say that, but how dare you say that about, about my team? And so, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of passion. And, and look, at the end of the day, all the other, the other things that people argue about on, on social media, sports is like, sports is the one that you can get on and argue about and and it's okay i think it's okay like it, as long as people take it the right way you're it's not one of those things that you can't bring up at family gatherings it's the thing that you can yell at, at at a friend about at a family member about and and they yell back and at the end you you crack open an adult beverage and watch the game together and scream at the tv together and like everybody everybody's pulling in the same direction um so no, I think there's definitely something to that. I also think it's 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 funny when you get into the weeds, the details of the discussion, when you find out that the person yelling at you really doesn't disagree as much with you as as you originally thought. So, no, I, I think there's there's absolutely something to that. I think the one thing that look, I, I'm not a fan. I am a media member. Um but look, business is better for us. I don't think that's that's like giving away company secrets. That business is better for us when the heat are good, when people want to watch our half hour show on Sunday night, when we're fortunate enough on local ten to have playoff games. Like we we want them to be good. Like that's that's not so. When I say something on Twitter, on social media, whatever, it's it's based on I want this team to be good, and and I know fans want that as well. I think I, I need to step in here and say I do think that Harry's a miserable person and I hate him and I don't like having him on ever because he just brings down the vibe every single time. And every time he brings up Duncan Robinson, a little part of me dies inside every single time. But thank you guys so much for tuning in. Clay, truly appreciate you coming on being our very first guest. That was awesome. It's, it's nice having some new blood in the in the podcast game now because that, that was just it, it just makes it way more fun having different perspectives and you know, different uh, ways of looking at specific things and ideas too, because you brought up some names too in the trade segment where I haven't really thought about it. Like Sadiq Bey, for instance, I love Sadiq Bey. I hadn't really thought about him though. So being able to, you know, put people on to, to new names, new suggestions too, is a beautiful thing. And that's why we, that's why we talk here. That's why we have a little show. Where we just, we just shoot the, you know what, and we have a little fun time with it. So thanks so much for tuning in and spending some time with your favorite random scrubs. We wouldn't have it any other way. Take care everybody. And remember to be good people. Need a stop and a rebound. For three. Oh my. That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.